morning, church. We got a beautiful day out there, don't we? Um, today in the Word, I'm excited about getting into the Word of God this morning. We are going to continue in a series through the uh, the pillars and the values of the church that have been uh, named and uh, that we have been uh, embodying and adopting, uh, which are restore, equip, and send. Can everybody say restore? That's not bad. I need a little bit more participation. Can everybody say restore? restore. All right. And then equip. And then send. There you go. Um, so today we're going to be talking about send, which is uh, coming up right at the, the last of the three values that we have that we believe we exist for. It's part of our mission statement. It's part of our why we exist. And we talk about restore, equip, and send because that is who God has called us to be. Um, we are the body of Christ. We are the representation of the body of Christ. By no means are we the only church or even the best church, but we are an awesome church, okay? Uh, and I believe that with all my heart. Um, but humbly, we recognize that we are part of the larger uh, church with a capital C, global, right? Uh, that God has called and equipped to be his vessel through which the world is able to know and follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So restore, equip, and send are three words that are significant to us because they represent uh, these very important movements or actions or items that we all need to participate in, both in terms of receiving and giving. Um, as we've been going through this series, restore is one of those things where uh, from, from the first step, we have this invitation to Come and be part of the people of God who have been and are being restored by God's work in us. How many are glad that God has met us at a point where we were broken, at a point where we were lost, at a point where we were hurt or wounded, and we began to experience the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, restoring us back into wholeness and health. Amen? Maybe for some of us, right, all of us, it was a spiritual condition. All of us have sin. Bible tells us we all have sin. But the good thing is, is God has an answer. He has a solution, and that solution is Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. So that problem of sin that we carry and cannot address on our own has been addressed through Jesus. And so part of that restoration process is walking away from a life of sin and walking toward a new life in Jesus. Right. Another part of that restoration process is beginning to experience emotional healing through the Lord. Amen. We carry we carry wounds. We carry pain. We carry things from our past. But the beautiful thing about it is our God is able to do all things, which includes addressing those things that we carry since we were babies or kids or teenagers or whenever it may be. But God sees every single aspect of us that needs to be restored. And he addresses that because our God doesn't just address the spiritual things and leave everything else for us to figure out. I love it that in the scriptures, every time Jesus has an encounter with someone, he oftentimes will do a miracle that impacts the spiritual, but also the physical. In other words, God cares about it all. So, so restoration is one of those processes that we uh, come to experience, right? When I think of the word restore, the analogy that comes to mind in terms of who God has called us to be as the church is the analogy of a hospital, 
right? A hospital is there to restore, is it not? If you're sick, you go to the hospital, right? And, and you try to, you go to somebody who knows more about what you're dealing with. They, they can, they can pull out an x-ray and take a look at what's going on in your, in your skeletal structure. They can do an MRI or, or they can run blood tests and they can help figure out what exactly is going on and, and create a treatment plan so that whatever it is that was causing you to feel ill or not well, there's a process in place for you to get better. Aren't you glad that we have hospitals that we could go to so that our physical needs can be addressed? I know I am. I'm grateful for our nurses and our doctors and those and our chaplains of hospitals that are here that, that participate in this wonderful industry that we have access to, which is a blessing. And God uses medicine. I know some people are like, oh man, you know, the only way God can heal is if you lay hands on somebody and pray. And what I would say is God can heal however God wants to heal. God can heal through prayer. God can heal through, through anointing oil. God can heal through medicine, right? God can heal through counseling, amen? And so we're grateful. But the thing about it is, if you've been to a hospital, right, and talking about this restoration or this restore word, if you've been to a hospital, uh, you, you can't just camp out there, right? Once, you've, once you are better and that white blood cell count is getting back to where it needs to, to get to, then, then you begin to get ready to get these things called discharge papers, right? You don't get a chance to, uh, to, to make the hospital your apartment, Okay, you go there for a reason to be restored. And once you are restored, then they say, great having you here. We hope we don't see you in a really long time. Have a great day. The, the doors are right there. Okay, see you later. Do you have somebody here to pick you up? Awesome. Make sure you tie that gown up from behind. Right. The, the hospital doesn't exist for us to stay in forever. And I use that analogy simply to say, when we come here to the church, to the body of Christ, this is a sanctuary and a refuge. But if all we see it is a place where we just constantly are being restored, 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 but no equipping and no sending, then it's like somebody who's trying to set up shop and live in a hospital. Hospital exists to get us well. And then you get your, you know what, out of the hospital because there's work to do on the other side. Right. So so the, 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 the church is like a hospital, but it's not only like a hospital. Right. It is like a place where we could come to find restoration through the Holy Spirit. But there's restoration for a purpose so that we can get better so that we can continue on the mission that God has called us to. So then the second word is equip. We've been talking about equip. Last week, the focus of the message was on this word equip. So when I think of the word equip, the analogy that comes to mind for me is the analogy of a school. Right. When you go to school, whether it's uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, training school, whatever it is, you are going there because you want to develop a certain set of skills and knowledge that you can utilize for a purpose. Right. You go there because you need to learn these different things. And, and once you've learned them, hopefully then at some point it transitions into action that you can uh, you can be able to live out all these things that you've learned in a way that's meaningful. That's what, that's what it means to equip. So the church is a place where we are restored, but then also we are equipped. How are we equipped? By the teaching of God's word, right? Why? Because God's word is a lamp unto our feet, light unto our path, right? We hide his word deep in our hearts so that we won't sin against God. We, we, we study the word of God so that we could show ourselves approved. We come to be equipped so that we can live by the word of God. 
We learn how to worship, right? This, earlier right now, before the kids were dismissed, I love the fact that our kids get to worship with us in the morning. I know in the past, sometimes they'd go straight over to Children's Church, and I know they have a wonderful worship time over there, but I love worshiping right next to my kids because I get a chance to talk to my son and say, hey, son, close your eyes so that you could minimize distraction. Put your hands out like this so that you can be in a, in a posture of receiving a blessing from God. And then in your heart, begin to talk. to I can coach my son how to worship. Why? Because that's equipping. That is equipping us, right? Because when we learn how to pray, when we learn how to worship, when we learn how to study God's word, we are developing these tools, accessing these tools that will help us to live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. All right? So equipping, this, this is like a school. But I know some folks, man, uh, who, who they, they've been at church for 15 years and not this church, not none of you, none of you. It's other people, other churches, other churches, other people. Not you, not you, right? But I know some people at other churches that they've been at the church for 15 years and, and, and somebody started asking, okay, so, so how are you going to live out the gospel and, and, and begin to, to put your hands and feet to the work of God and bless others outside of these four walls? Like, no, 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 you know what? I'm, I'm just still not there yet in my Old Testament biblical literacy. I need to, I need to sharpen that up a little bit more before I can really be useful, uh, as a Sunday school teacher or as an evangelist or, or whatever. It may be. And there are some folks that love to just be in school forever. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie back in the day with Adam Sandler called Billy Madison. Um, but if you haven't, it's a story about this guy who never, never graduated. And so in his twenties, he had to go back and, and redo every grade, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth. He's like 25 years old sitting in those little desk chairs, right? It's a comedy. It's a, it's a really funny movie, not very appropriate. Um, so just giving you that warning. Um, but Christians who just want to constantly study God's word but never put it into practice are like a 30-year-old in first grade. Right? Just wanting to constantly be taught over and over again. It's kind of like, hey, you already learned how to tie your shoe. You already learned how to write your alphabet. You already learned, yeah, that's red, you got it. And that's blue, you got that, right? You've already learned the basics of education. It's time to move on. Okay, so the church is like a school in that this is a place to equip and to develop disciples. But then it gets to this point where we need to, to get to that next word, which is the word sin. Can everybody say sin? Sin. And sin is this word where we begin to think of what does it mean to be those who are sent? What does it mean to be those who aren't just going to try to move into a hospital and live there or stay in school and never graduate? What does it mean to be those who are being restored and those who are being equipped to be those who are being sent? I think in the American church today, uh, we love to focus on restore. Everybody loves worship, right? Everybody loves to have tears at the altar, Okay. Because it feels good, it feel, and I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't, it feels great. And then everybody loves to be fed, quote unquote, right, and, and educated. But then when we get to that third word of sin, all of a sudden it's kind of like, no, 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 you know, I need a little bit more restoration. I need a little bit more education, right? I'm not ready yet for that whole sin thing. And, and what I would say is we in, in, the, in 2022 in the American church need to do a better job of recognizing our call and our purpose and our responsibility to be those who are sent, right? Not only those who are restored and equipped. Amen? 
Um, so, so as we look at that, I want to just turn our attention to Genesis chapter 12, because this is one of the, uh, I would say one of the foundational scriptures for what it means to be a sent church. The beautiful thing about these three words is in order to be part of what God wants to do to restore the world, in order to restore, we first need to be restored. Amen. In order to be, uh, to be able to equip others, we first need to be equipped. Um, and, and in order to be, to be able to be sent somewhere, right? In order, in order to send uh, ourselves or someone somewhere else, we have to be those who are sent. And so it's this wonderful relationship here uh, that we find uh, as, uh, in this, this, it reminds me a lot of, uh, of kind of the way the tide reaches the sand at the ocean, whereas there's this ingress and regress of the fact that we are both uh, restored and restoring at the same time. We are both equipped and equipping at the same time. We are both sent and sending at the same time, right? Uh, and that's the beauty of what it means to be the body of Jesus Christ. Um, so Genesis chapter 12, this is, uh, 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 this is the Abrahamic blessing or the Abrahamic covenant. Um, and uh, God is speaking to Abram, his friend, in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. And the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. Everybody say go. Important, probably the most important word in this uh, three verses. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And pause right there. The, like I said, the most important word is go. The Lord gave Abram instructions. The instructions that he gave him were, I have a plan for you, Abram. And that plan means you have to step outside of your comfort zone. Right, God said to Abram, in order to pursue my call on your life, you cannot stay where you are. Right? So God says to him, go from everything that you know. Go from your dad's house, go from your hometown, go from your home country, and go somewhere else. If you're like me, then I would be asking God if I were Abram, Lord, where are we going? Right? Okay, I know where I'm not supposed to be, but where am I supposed to be? Right? Um. But I love that God does not tell Abram where he's supposed to be. He just says, just don't be there. In other words, what God is teaching us in this sin principle is get ready to go. Where are we supposed to go? Wherever I want you to go, but don't be too comfortable wherever you're at. That's kind of the, 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 the summary of Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, right? Get up out of here. Where am I supposed to go? I'll let you know. You let me worry about that. In other words, God is teaching Abram faith and he's teaching him that I created you with a purpose and that purpose wasn't to just sit here, be happy and get comfortable in your dad's house. Abraham, wasn't he like 80 or 90 years old too when God called him? Like that's a little too old to be chilling in his dad's house. Just saying, just saying. He should have been moved out like 50 years ago. <laughs> Okay, so verse 2 says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Somebody say amen. amen. Right, we love to tap into the Abrahamic blessing, man. We were like, ah, yes, Lord, make me into a, a great nation and bless me. And then watch this part. God says to him, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That's the Abrahamic covenant, 
where God is promising him, we've got work to do, Abraham. You need to go because all these people need to be blessed. I want to, I want to distribute and spread out this goodness, this love, this grace, this mercy, this hope, this peace. I want to spread it out to every single family on this earth. And I'm going to use you to do it, Abram. Isn't that awesome? So God gives him this promise. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are tied into this promise. Right? We, we are connected to this promise. In other words, God is saying to you, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are going to be a blessing. And through you, all the people of this earth will be blessed. So in other words, uh, God never intended for the church to be this place where we can come to as a sanctuary and refuge and receive all this blessing and hoard that blessing up. It's almost like the manna in the wilderness. The more you try to keep, the more spoiled it gets. The more you use it, the more that comes. And so God has called us as the body of Christ, not just to be those who are blessed, but to those who become a blessing to the entire world. So the sin principle is built in, right? The sin principle is built in here from day one when God says to Abraham, go, get moving, be on the move, and look around because through you and through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Okay? We get in trouble when we forget about that command. We get in trouble when we forget about the fact that God doesn't just want to only bless us, but God wants to get us to a point where we have become and continue to be a blessing to the nations. Amen? So when we think about this word send, um, I think about it in terms of being sent to and sent from. Everybody say sent to and sent from. In terms of being sent to, having a church located right here, right, in this, uh, in this area code, in this location, on this intersection, right here next to these freeways in this community is an example of being sent to, right? We, we are at the ends of the earth, believe it or not. If we think about like the biblical mandate, the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Holy Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you always, and I will always be with you. As we think about that great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection, right? This physical representation of a church is the embodiment of that scripture, we're like right here on the Pacific Ocean. I mean, they, they didn't even know Carson existed, right? They, they didn't even know that there was this North American continent during that time. And so we do represent the gospel being sent to the other part of the world. Why? Because when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he was on the other side of the earth. Right? He was standing somewhere uh, next to the Sea of Galilee, next to the Mediterranean Sea that's on the complete other side of the world. In other words, we currently are representing the active, lived out Great Commission that we are sent to Los Angeles, California. Why? Because God has work to do in Los Angeles, California. God has work to do in the South Bay. God has work to do in our streets and communities. God has work to do in our schools. God has work to do in our workplaces. God has work to do in our homes, in our neighborhoods. So God wanted a church to be planted right here so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be preached, lived out, accepted, and followed faithfully in this location. 
So that's what it means to be sent to, right? To be sent to a particular place. And then there's this other component that's being sent from. And the image that comes to my mind is, I don't know if you've ever been to an airport or you've been on an airplane and you pull out that little pamphlet, right? That's uh, in, in the back seat of the seat in front of you and you open it up and you take a look at it and you see places like, uh, uh, um, what's the place called? Uh, uh, Dulles uh, Airport or, or what's the one? Chicago O'Hare or, uh, or, or, or Dallas Fort Worth or Atlanta, these hubs that have uh, airlines that have as their headquarters those cities. And when you look at the spray chart where the airplanes come in and out from, you see this map and you see all these red or blue lines that are like in an arc that go to all these different places around the world connected to places like Chicago and Atlanta and LAX if we're thinking internationally uh, on, the, uh, on the Pacific edge here. And so we see that there's both uh, being sent to but also being sent uh, from. So when I think about that, I think about, imagine each of us that's sitting in a chair this morning and all of our kids, because they're missionaries too, okay? Because God has a plan for our kids too, right? The Lord's using them too, um, to, to be a witness. Um, but I want you to just imagine that every single person who's here today in the children's ministry and in the sanctuary, imagine that there's a little, a little uh, dot on top of your head, and then wherever it is that you're going today or tomorrow or Tuesday, there's a, a, a bit of a line from where you are now to where you will be tomorrow. Right? And that, to me, is a graphic image of being sent from. Right? So we are sent to this place to be a, uh, to be a blessing, and then we're also sent from this place to be a blessing. That God restores us and equips us, and then hopefully it's almost as if you, your, your gaze right now is toward the stage, but God willing, that gaze turns around and it's facing outward, and the question that we're asking is, Lord, how are you going to use me now to live out and put into practice all that I have been gaining and learning and experiencing in the body of Christ? I'm ready to now be sent, Right? I, I fell in love with the song in worship, I think, when I was a kid, middle school, high school, and it made sense to me. This whole principle of sin caught on, and it's the, the, the song that, that says, if you could use anything, Lord, you can use me, right? Um, and it's, it's one of those songs that can really just minister to us to remind us, here I am, Lord. Here I am. I, I've got uh, I, I've got a mind. I've got a heart. I've got hands. I've got feet. I've got skills. I've got talents. I've got a past. I've got a future. I've got a present. I've got a location. I've got a job. I've got things that I'm good at and things that I'm not very good at. But I give it all to you, Lord. However you want to use me. However you want to use me so that someone who's lost, someone who's broken, someone who's confused, someone who's going in the wrong direction, someone who feels like they are hopeless, someone who wants to take their own life, someone who's not sure which direction to go through my life, for whatever reason, you can get a hold of them and begin to communicate to them how much you love them and what plans you have for them. And that's our prayer as the church. Right? Um, we don't just come to camp out in the hospital. We don't just come here and stay in 13th grade and 14th grade and 15th grade and 16th grade and 17th grade, 18th grade and 19th grade. No, we come to the hospital. The Lord heals us. We go to school. We get equipped. And then we are sent because if you could use anything, Lord, you could use me. Oh, Pastor Coba, but I'm not really, uh, I'm not really a preacher type of person. I'm like, are you a talker type of person? 
Because sometimes that's the best kind of preaching. Right? I, I, I have, I'm ministering and being ministered to by a couple uh, deaf students at Azusa Pacific right now. And man, we have had some deep conversations and I haven't heard one word come out of their mouth. Why? Because we text each other back and forth, sitting next to each other. If the interpreter's not there. He could tell me how his day's going, what he's thinking, how he wants to grow in the Lord. How? Through a text message app. So don't tell me you're not a preacher. If these brothers can figure out how to get words across, you can too. And it's not an obligation. That's the, the one thing I, that, that when we think about evangelism or sharing, sometimes we think of it as a burden, like I have to, right? I have to, in order to be faithful, I have to. But the beautiful thing about sharing the love of Christ is that we get to share all that God has done in our life. That's exciting. Just think about it for a second. What has God done in you? Who would you be if God had not taken over your life? Where would you be if Jesus had not come to rescue you? What would you be doing? What would you be feeling? What would you be experiencing? And then to contrast that, what do you feel now that Jesus is in the middle of you? What do you experience now that the Holy Spirit is at work transforming you and changing you, never leaves you, always by your side, constantly challenging you, saying you could do better than that, and we're going to do this together? What what are the things that God has brought you from, and and where has God brought you to? And sharing the Word of God is simply telling the story. See something, say something. You experience something, you share something. That's the essence of it, is it not? John chapter 9, Jesus healed the guy who was blind. The guy didn't know who Jesus was. They started interrogating him and asking him questions. The Pharisees, who is Jesus? Where did he come from? How did he get the power to heal you? And, and he's just kind of like, man, I got, I, I got nothing in terms of all of those questions. All I know is that, that, that yesterday... Um, I had this stick that I was using to try to get around. And then all of a sudden today, I could tell that you're a brown-skinned, Mediterranean, Middle Eastern, Jewish person over here. And that's the first time my eyes were open to recognize that trees are green and the ocean is blue. All I know is I used to be blind, but now I see. Right? He, he He didn't have to have five years of training. He didn't have to have 10 years of of in-depth experience. All he had to know was that there's something special about Jesus. And I didn't know who he was before, but now I heard people talking about him, and then I met him, and now I'm different. Isn't that the truth? So we are both sent to and sent from. Amen? Um, Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Somebody yell at me if I'm going way over time because I get excited about God's word and I have a little too much fun. Sunday school teachers are going to be mad. Like, when are they letting the adults out, man? We, gotta, we just taught them the whole lesson twice. They did two coloring projects. Pastor still hasn't finished up the altar call. What's going on? Sunday school teachers. (laughs) Praise God. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. If you have it, say amen. 
If you don't have it, but you want to pretend like you have it, say amen. Praise God. You are. Somebody say you are. Turn to the person next to you and say you are. All right, turn to the other person now and say you are. Now turn to the person behind you or in front of you and say you are. Okay, here's what I love about Jesus. A lot of things, but one thing in particular is here in Matthew chapter 5. This is early on in the story of of Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, He had just began to call disciples to himself. We're going to focus on that passage at the end of the sermon. He had just called them to follow him. They don't know him well. He doesn't know them well. They hadn't established a years-long relationship at this point. And yet, from the get-go, Jesus already begins to give them a new identity. Isn't that cool? When I grew up reading this passage, I always thought like, yeah, you know, the context is they had known each other for a really long time. They were acquaintances, and now he's affirming their identity. And in reality, I look at Matthew chapter 5 means they don't even know who Jesus is yet, and he's already telling them who they are and who they aren't. That's a beautiful thing. Because there's a lot of people roaming around today who aren't too sure who they are or who they aren't. What they are or what they aren't. There's a lot of confusion as to what they're supposed to be doing, where they're supposed to be. And they are going to listen to anything that sounds compelling enough. But Jesus has the audacity to barely meet these guys and begin to tell them, this is who you are. Don't listen to that other stuff. Block that out. I got a plan for you. Here's who you are. The cool thing is, is they weren't that yet, but they walked into it. That's the beautiful thing about, about uh, parenting in a godly way is we get a chance to call out who our children will become and not be so focused on where they're at right now. We can say, you know who you are? You are beautiful. You know who you are? You are brilliant. You know who you are? You are successful. You know who you are? You're a hard worker. You know who you are? You're responsible. Imagine if you grew up hearing those words all the time, what kind of trajectory you would be on as opposed to hearing the opposite. You know what? You're good for nothing. You're lazy, right? You can't do it. You're not very smart. You're not very, we we need to sow seeds of faith into our own families. Amen. And I, I had a baseball game yesterday. I was coaching these uh, nine-year-olds over in Lakewood, and, 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 and they got their behinds whooped yesterday. They got ugly fast. Talking about 10 runs in the first inning, right? I know I had the uh, – Coach Eddie, I had them huddled up, man, in, in right field before the game, right? And we're talking, and they're on one knee, and they're looking good. They got their uniforms tucked in, and they're fresh, you know. And I'm like, man, you guys are good, right? If you weren't good, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't have that jersey on. You guys are better than this team, right? And then they put up 10 runs, and now I was over there chewing my sunflower seeds in the dugout trying to figure out what to say. I feel like God gave me a few words uh, of redemption at the end of the game uh, to uh, smooth things out a little bit, but... Uh, but I hope that that, that uh, inspirational message at the beginning of the game sinks in. Maybe not for yesterday, but maybe for another day. By faith, right? You are better than them. Not yet. Okay? <laughs> but, but you are. <laughs> okay? 
<laughs> right? You swing out. You, you struck out by swinging, man. Fly got in my eye, man. I'm going to get him next time. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Right? The winds picked up. Santa Ana's came through the San Gabriel River channel right there. Jesus says to his disciples after he barely met them, you are salt of the earth. One translation says salt of the land. Um, in other words, uh, one of the uh, scholars uh, is mentioning that uh, the, the disciples of Jesus are actually those who are going to preserve the people of Israel. Salt of the land. And right? he says, you are the, the salt. He says, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So I thought about three things that salt represents. One is preserve. Everybody say preserve. If you're salt, right? In these days, they didn't have ice makers. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have ways of just sticking their meat somewhere to, to be good for a really long time, right? All they had was preservatives like salt to put inside to keep their food to last a little bit longer, to stay fresh a little bit longer, right? So the first thing is to preserve. God has called the church, this body, to be those who are called to preserve this generation and this culture. Otherwise, there'd be decay all around. There'd be spoiling all around, except for the fact that there is a place where people can go to and say, I'm walking away from my sin and I'm going toward Jesus. I'm leaving that lifestyle and I'm going toward Jesus. I'm changing my actions and my choices and I'm going toward Jesus. So your life, your witness, your example, right? Sunday school teachers, worship leaders, those who are out and about, missionaries in the community, God is using you to be a preserver of culture. The second word that comes to mind is season, right? How many of us know that if you if you put a little carne asada, right, on the grill, and all you do is put a little bit of salt on it, maybe a little bit of pepper too. If you want to use garlic salt, that's even better. But you put the right amount of salt on it, it makes it taste really good, doesn't it? Some of you vegetarians and vegans in here are like, come on, Pastor Kobo, I got to use the meat example. Okay, if you got asparagus on the grill, okay, and you put a little salt on the asparagus, okay, it, it makes that asparagus pop, I'm telling you, right? Got a little something, right? I love, I love, Dre and I, we have this thing where she loves to make Spanish rice, right? Um, and uh, I don't know why they call it Spanish rice. It's the orange one. We're Mexican. It's just called the Mexican rice. But, you know, whenever she makes it, I get to be the taste tester, right? And no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm outside mowing the lawn or whatever it may be that I'm doing, right? And then she goes, babe, can you come here? Can you try it? Does it need more salt? That's like clockwork, 15 years of marriage, always, all the time. Can you taste it? Does it need more salt? I'll taste it and I'll be like, perfect, just like that. Or needs a whole lot more salt, right? Or dang, too salty, make another batch. <laughs> Right. But uh, but but salt can give something some really good flavor, doesn't it? And when I think about the, the calling, right. Remember that verse in scripture where it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what a Christian is in a culture. A Christian in culture is are those who get a chance for others to, to see, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right. Pruebalo is what they say at the Albertsons uh, parking lot. When you're ready to try to see whether or not you want to buy that watermelon, the dude comes over with a with a knife, cuts off a slice of it and says, here you go. Give it a shot. And you try it and you're like, I'll take one of those. Right. They give you a little slice of the mango. Yep. Ten of those, please. 
right? They give you a little taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the role of the Christian in society is we live our lives in such a way that others say, I want what they have because I don't think what I got last night is equivalent to what it is that they're bringing with them. I don't think what what I'm looking for out there in the world is equivalent to what I see them walking with because there's a joy about them, because there's a newness, there's a freshness about them, there's a lightness about them, there's a beauty about them, there's a a confidence and a security about them, there's there's a peace about them, and and we get a chance to live in such a way that others can say, I want a little bit of that. And so we season culture by being a witness for what God has done in our lives. Preserve and season. And the last one is to enrich right? To enrich the culture that God has called us to do. So let's keep reading in Matthew 5, verse 14. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. You are the light of the world. Come on, turn to somebody and say, you are. Right? Jesus is giving them an identity, saying, you're salt and you're light. Right? You preserve, you season, you enrich, and you are light. What does light bring? I thought of a few words that remind me of light, especially 2,000 years ago, what light would have meant in that, uh, in that day. One of the things light means is safety. Right? It, it, because, again, like I said, no electricity. So you might be somewhere where it's really pitch black and dark and all of a sudden you see a light and you know there's something going on there. There's safety there, right? I'm pretty sure the wild animals at night when they see a whole bunch of lanterns and lamps lit, they stay away from that area because they know there's some people there and people have weapons and animals don't want nothing to do with that. So when you're around lights, you are pretty safe. Uh, Light represents community. Like I said, no electricity. So if there's a light lit, oftentimes it's probably not just for one person. So people come together, right? You can tell stories. Um, you can hang out, right? Community, safety, community. What does light provide for us? Focus, right? If you couldn't quite get that project done before the sun went down, you get a little work light going, don't you? And you keep going on it, right? Until your fingers can't or your back can't or your legs can't or whatever it may be. But it gives you focus, safety, community, focus. It gives you direction, right? And it leads others to follow God. Um, the, the analogy or the imagery that I have is, is almost as if uh, there's a lighthouse um, and Jesus is the lighthouse and, and we're out a, a distance away from the lighthouse, which we can see. But in order to get there, we have to make our way around uh, trees and bushes and all these different uh, rocks and all these different things. And so we have a flashlight. And so we get to be the flashlight. Jesus is the lighthouse. Right, we can help others navigate around it to the lighthouse because once we get to the lighthouse, we've got safety, right? So Jesus says, you are salt and you are light. He says, hey, if you got a light, you don't put it under a bowl. It took a lot of work to get that light lit. You're burning some petroleum or something, right? There, there was a, there's a process in place to get that light lit. So you don't put it somewhere random where nobody can utilize it. You put it somewhere prominent so that it can actually provide a benefit to those who are using it. So we are the light of the world. Jesus, isn't that a, a, a wonderful affirmation? See, I think sometimes we as Christians, okay, don't, don't take this out of context, but I need to make this comment because I think sometimes we as Christians are so, so good at beating ourselves up. 
that we wake up as depressed Christians because of how bad we know that we are. We're sinners. We're messed up. We make the same mistake over and over again. We shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have said that. Uh, I don't know if what I did is forgivable. Um, you know, uh, I know better. Uh, whatever it is, we, we, we've got this negative self-image. Right. And then when we talk about sin and add all that on, we're like, oh, man, we're trash. We're rubbish. We're filthy. And I'm like, that is a low self-concept. Right. Guess what? Yes, we are desperate. But the beautiful thing about it is Jesus calls us salt. We are messed up. But guess what? Jesus calls you light. So do what Jesus calls you, not what your own inner psychology is calling you. Right? I think about it this way. God is a good father, isn't he? And I'm a decent father. You don't have to affirm me or, or disagree with me. You can keep that comment to yourself. <laughs> Just kidding. But seriously. But God's a good father. I'm a decent father. I don't want my kids, my three kids, walking around with their heads hanging. Right? Their jaw dragging on the ground repeating this mantra to themselves from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to sleep. I'm nothing. I'm trash. I'm good for nothing. Uh, there's nothing good in me. I'm terrible. Um, I, I'm a horrible person, right? If, if I saw my kids doing that, right, I'm going to interrupt that in a heartbeat. So why then, as Christians, do we allow ourselves to tell ourselves this story that we are worthless, that we are trash, that we are good for nothing, that we'll never be any good, and spiritualize it? Instead, we ought to be able to say, I am salt. I am light. I am forgiven. I am loved. I am strong. I am smart. I am capable. I am successful. I am helpful. I am thoughtful. I am loving, right? We get a chance to repeat these things to ourselves because that's who God calls us. Amen? So Jesus gives them really clear, you are salt, you are light. And Mission Ebenezer, you are salt. But Pastor Kobe, but you don't really know what I'm really wrestling with on the inside. I haven't shared some of that stuff. And what I would say is this, well, guess what? God is at work in you. And as God is at work in you, you're already salt. Amen? You're already light. Well, I'm not perfect, Pastor Koba, so how, am I, how, how can I be light? Well, guess what? None of us are perfect, but, but at least start with a dim light, and maybe it'll get brighter. So Luke 5, 1, verse 1, same chapter going over to the first verse. And this is the invitation, right? This is uh, um, restore equip, and send. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, it's the same thing, interchangeable. Gennesaret means uh, harp. It means harp. Um, but that's the shape of the Sea of Galilee, so it goes by a couple different names. Uh, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, 
the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little more from shore. Don't you love how Jesus operates? Like there was a lot of people there listening to him preach and it was crowding him around the shore. I don't know if he felt claustrophobic or what, but he's like, I need a little break. Get me on one of these boats. And then he gets into Simon's boat, but Simon and them were just washing their nets from fishing the night before. They weren't even part of the crowd, but Jesus got involved in their business anyhow. Don't you love it how sometimes you go looking for Jesus and he finds you and other times you're minding your own business and Jesus comes looking for you? Right? I love that. Jesus is like, hey, I know you guys ain't here for the sermon, but I'm going to go ahead and need that boat right quick <laughs> and put it out a little bit more, man, because these people, they haven't showered in a few days. And so they go out a little bit and Jesus is preaching. I also love the fact that he could preach on a, a lake shore with a breeze, right, right in that area. Jesus must have had a voice on him, right? No microphones, no megaphones. Jesus is preaching from the boat. Um, then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Verse four, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out deeper in the water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. And he said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and followed. They probably left everything after they sold that fish, right? They ain't going to leave the fish, all that fish in those boats. They're like, we're going to need a little bit of money if we're going to be following this guy around for three years. Let's go to the market and get this fish sold up real quick, and then we'll go follow him. But, but, but Matthew said they left everything. And followed him. Oh, I love that. Right? Jesus is bold. He borrows their boat. And then he says, hey, I got a new idea for you. What would you think about leaving behind the fish and instead bringing those nets? But now we're going to start catching people for God. What do you guys think about that? And they said, let's do it. Right? They followed his instructions. And uh, recently, as I was reading this passage and reflecting on this call narrative or this invitation and this uh, chance, because he, uh, and, and immediately, right, uh, it's, it's so cool how these three words, restore, equip, and send, it's almost like Jesus starts backward with this crew. He says, I'm going to send you because you know how to fish for fish, but I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. And then along the way, he begins to restore them and he begins to equip them and educate them. But he starts by telling them, I've got a job for you. I love that. And, and I believe that's the case for us. Mission Ebenezer, God has a job for you. The Lord has 
a responsibility, a, a purpose, an identity for you to carry out and to live out. And along the way, you're going to get some restoration and you're going to get some education and equipping. But we don't exist simply for the restoration and the equipping. We, we are restored and equipped so that we could be part of God's missional work in the world. To go and fish for people. And he calls these fishermen and they follow him immediately. And, and recently as I was studying this passage, something dawned on me because the narrative that I had always thought of when I, when I kind of imagine this story and I'm thinking of Jesus there and, and he's preaching and teaching and there's crowds and they're on the lake. And then, you know, he randomly happens to use a boat as a pulpit to preach to a bunch of people there. And, and then from there, he calls them and those become the first disciples. And, and I'd always thought like, you know, the story goes and, you know, these guys are, uh, they aren't seminary trained or educated. They probably didn't know how to read very well. They weren't really highly regarded in society because, you know, fishermen during that time wasn't necessarily one of those positions that you aspired to. You just kind of did it because that's probably what your dad did and what your grandfather did. So that's what you end up doing. And I I always had this vision of Jesus's call of these fishermen as almost like he just picked a bunch of people that weren't really equipped and weren't really capable or qualified. But then Jesus called them because it's proving a point that for whatever reason, he can call anybody. And as long as you're with Jesus, you're going to be fine. That's like the story that I've always heard and internalized. And, and then I read it differently recently. And, and again, this is tied to just looking out and seeing all of your faces and seeing where you are, who you are where you're from, what you've done, what God wants to do through you and in your life. And, and, and I look at this story and, and I kind of think of like Jesus and his call and his plan and what he wanted to do. You see, he had in mind already what was going to happen in the next series of chapters in the next three years of his earthly ministry. He knew he was going to be traveling around. He knew he was going to be telling people the good news of who God is and how much God loves them. He knew he was going to be going into these different towns and healing people of their sicknesses. He knew they were going to be uh, needing to figure out ways to feed multitudes of people miraculously. Jesus probably already had an idea of what this next three years was going to look like, even though these guys didn't. So if I'm Jesus, right, and I'm looking at this story, then do I want a bunch of egghead seminarians who, who don't have calluses on their hands, never picked up a net in their life, following me around to do this great work? Or do I want a group of people who know how to work together as a team? Do I want a group of people who have patience because maybe the catch didn't come when you thought it was going to come, but you got to wait another hour or two or three or four until the fish finally come? Do I want a group of people who know how to come out and work really hard? Do I, do I want a, a bunch of people who, when they didn't get a catch the night before, they don't quit the next night, but they say we're going to get a catch tonight because they've got dedication and perseverance? Do I want a bunch of people who don't think they're better than anybody else, but they're humble because of their job and their lifestyle and their status, and so they carry themselves with this humility. I think Jesus picked the fishermen on purpose. Right? I don't know if I believe that story anymore that these were the lowest of the low and the least likely to be chosen as disciples. I think Jesus had his eye on them. I like the way these guys work. I like the fact that he let me use his boat even though he doesn't even know who I am. I like the fact that when I said go out there and throw the net down into the deep waters, they did it. And I like the fact that after they saw that I'm the son of God, they decided to respond to that. I think there were some uh, redemptive, redeeming uh, qualities about these fishermen that Jesus saw and said, I want these to be my disciples. So before you look in the mirror and start saying, who am I? Who am I to be a disciple of Jesus? 
Who am I to be saved? Who am I to have eternity in heaven? Who am I to be part of uh, the work of God at a place like Mission Ebony? Who, who am I to be a, a teacher, uh, a Bible teacher in Sundays? Who am I to be a youth leader? Who am I to be a worship leader? Who am I to be somebody who shares uh, uh, or prays with somebody out in the streets? Who am I to go feed the homeless and let them know that God has a plan for their life and, and he's with them wherever it is that they go and that he's their heavenly father? Who am I to go and do these things? And what I would say is you are somebody that God knows exactly what you have if within you because he built you that way. And it might be the qualities that you have that you think are, might not be very admirable that God specifically sees and wants to use for his glory. You see, on our own, yeah, we can make a whole lot of mistakes and make a whole, whole lot of bonehead decisions. But when we allow our lives to be placed into the hands of God, God can do some beautiful things. God can, God can change the world through a bunch of knuckleheads like these fishermen who had no idea what was going on. We want to be like those knuckleheads that just say, Lord, if you could use anything, you can use me. All right? Lessons from their first day on the job when Jesus called them. Number one, listen to what Jesus says. Number two, never give up and be persistent. Number three, work together with those around you. Number four, watch God do miraculous things and produce abundance all around you and in the lives of others. They learned all that on their first day on the job. <laughs> Restore, equip, and send. So here we are, and we're getting ready for vacation Bible school. Okay? We get a chance to be part of God's sending agency. All right, we get a... We get to be part of God's rescue mission in the world. Okay, we get to be a part of this crew that we get, we get to say, Lord, where is it that you, you're, you're working and how do you want me to be a part of that? You know, we do that through missions. Last week, we heard a wonderful announcement um, from Sister Jackie and, and uh, Brother Primo that was talking to us about missions in the world. Mission Ebenezer is part of that sending work, Right. Uh, Pastor T and, and a number of others are regularly ministering to those who live out on the streets in the city of LA. We get to be part of that sending work. Right? We get to be part of the way God wants to use us to be agents in his redemptive work. We are being restored. We are being equipped. We are being sent. Right? Jesus says, um, I will make you fishers of men. And we all get a chance to be part of that. 